Well, like I said earlier, this memorial service is really for all of us. We'll be remembering three specific individuals. But we have all either lost someone near to us in our lives, and we all definitely will one day lose people near to us. And one day we too will face death. So this memorial service is for all of us. So let's sink down into God's Word together this morning. That's what we really need. Let's let it fill our minds and our hearts. Let's let it enhance our ability to remember those that we miss so dearly. Let's let it help us to mourn well with hope. So we're studying Psalm 139. If you'll remember the week before last, we began this chapter. My plan was to do three Sundays on this chapter and end this one on Memorial Day. Obviously, I wasn't here last Sunday. So let's just take a brief refresher of what we learned the Sunday before last from this psalm. Because this, this leads into our teaching for today. Last week we studied and we learned that this was a praise poem. This was a psalm written to help us praise God. That's why David of David and Goliath fame wrote this. To help us praise God. And in this psalm we learn that God searches us. That God knows us. That God knows when we sit down. He knows when we get up. He understands our thoughts. He scrutinizes our path and our lying down to sleep. He is intimately acquainted with all our ways. He knows what we'll say before we say it. He encloses around us. He lays his guiding hand upon us. These are some of the things that we learned the week before last that lead into our teaching today. God knows us. God knows you. Intimately, searchingly, thoroughly, God knows you. So let's keep this in mind as we pick up at verse 7. I'm just going to sort of read through it. And we'll just take it in together. At verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? Literally, it's like, where can I bolt suddenly from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, meaning the air above, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Now, there's a lot that can be said about this verse. The NIV translates that word, Sheol, as the depths. The King James translates it as hell. So what does this mean? God is in hell? That's a, this is a big question that we just don't have time to address today. But it's okay, because that's not the point of this passage anyway. This isn't a teaching about hell or Sheol. The point is this. We have a contrast between two regions. One of glory and one of darkness. An area of the heights and an area of the depths. And the same fact is asserted of both. God is present in both extremes. That's the point of it. Verse 9. If I take or rise on the wings of the dawn. In other words, if I lift on the wings of the morning. If I dwell in the remotest part of the sea. The wording there is if I settle on the far side of the sea. Or if I abide or live permanently on the far side of the sea. At the end, the furthest extreme of the roaring sea. If I go there. As far from land as possible, even there, your hand will guide me. Your hand will lead me. The great Christian thinker and writer Charles Spurgeon says this about verse 9, and I could hardly say it better. Although his language, he, was, you know, he lived a long time ago, his language is a little difficult. But if we focus together, we'll get what he's saying. 
He says, if I could fly with all swiftness and find a habitation where the mariner has not yet plowed the deep, yet I could not reach the boundaries of the divine presence. Light flies with inconceivable rapidity, and it flashes far afield beyond all human kin. It illuminates the great wide sea and sets its waves gleaming afar. But its speed would utterly fail if employed in flying from the Lord. Were we to speed on the wings of the morning breeze and break into oceans unknown to chart and map, yet there we should find the Lord already present. You see, God knows you and God is present with you. God knows us and God is present with us. When you're in the joyful heights of life, God is present with you. When you're in the dreadful lows of life, God is still present with you. There's no situation or place you can find yourself in life that God is not present with you. This is a source of great hope for us as Christians. As Nicole Nordeman writes in her song, Hold On. I don't know if anyone listens to Nicole Nordeman. She's a contemporary Christian artist. I typically don't listen to contemporary Christian artists. But she's really good. She's really biblical and good. But she writes in her song, It will find you at the bottom of a bottle. It will find you at the needle's end. It will find you when you beg and steal and borrow. It will follow you into a stranger's bed. It will find you when, you, when they serve you with the papers. It will find you when the locks have changed again. It will find you when you've called in all your favors. It will meet you at the bridge's highest ledge. So don't look down, it's a long way. The sun will come around to a new day. So hold on. Love will find you. Hold on. He's right behind you now. Just turn around and love will find you. It will find you when the doctor's head is shaking. It will find you in a boardroom, mostly dead. It will crawl into the foxhole where you're praying. And it will curl up in your halfway empty bed. And we might add this morning, it will find you at the gravesite. It will find you in the dark days that follow the passing of someone very near to you. Picking up at verse 10. Even there your hand will lead me, or guide me. The original language has the idea of your open hand will guide me with It includes the idea of transportation. It's as though God's hand scoops us up and takes us where He would have us. So even there, even in the darkest of places, your hand will lead me. Your right hand will lay a hold of me. It will hold me fast. The right hand is the strong hand. God's right hand, His strong hand, will lay hold of us. That's the idea of it will seize us and hold us close, like a possession. You see, God knows you. God is present with you. And his open hand guides you. His open hand guides you through whatever situations you may find yourself. The highest highs of life and the lowest depths of life and everything in between. This brings such hope for those of us who know God through Christ. I want to read you another verse that describes this open guiding hand of our Father. You don't have to flip there. It's short. I'll just read it. It comes from Deuteronomy. Chapter 1, it's um, verses 29 through 31. Here Moses is reminding the Israelites of everything God's done for them. He's getting ready to die soon and he's just reminding them of everything God has done for them so that they have strong faith for the future. He says, Then I said to you, Do not be shocked nor fear them, meaning their enemies, 
The Lord your God goes before you, and he himself will fight on your behalf, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes, and in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you, just as a man carries his son, in all the way which you have walked until you came to this place. Just as a father carries his son. Just as a father carries his son. That's how God carries his people. When Israel was wandering in the desert, they, they couldn't see this. And it was because of their lack of faith, as we would learn if we kept reading in Deuteronomy. But they couldn't see this. That God was carrying them through this dreadful situation. God was there. He was carrying them. Giving them what they needed. Like a father carries his son. He's transporting them. It's the same idea that David is praising God for in Psalm 139. Your hand will lead me. Just as a father carries his son. What a beautiful, comforting picture. I'm sorry to always allude to my children, but it's a huge part of my life. So, what are you going to do? But our little girl, Lillian, is, I don't know how many days old. Nine? Seven? Some under ten amount of days old. I'm not good with numbers. But she's just a couple of days old. And she leads such a funny little life. We swaddle her. I like doing the swaddling. I feel like I'm pretty efficient with it. So we wrap her up in a little cloth. And if she's going anywhere, literally, we're carrying her there. And her whole life is just being carried to one place to another and just sat in different places or held for a little bit. That's her whole lifestyle right now. Some of these places may include food. Some of these places may be a place to sleep. Some may include a diaper change. She doesn't know. She's just sort of being moved around. She's just a little adorable blob just being stuck here and there. I was just talking to Meredith last night. I mean, can you imagine that lifestyle? I mean, we worry about so much. We worry about the bills and the car maintenance and the decisions. She doesn't worry about a thing because she doesn't have a clue. She just is getting carried here and there. And that's how a father carries their child. And so God will carry us. And so he will carry his children. If we are his children, that's our relationship with him. We can be that dependent on him. It's beautiful. Now, it does not mean that things will be easy. It does not mean that there won't be dark times or that we'll understand everything. It doesn't mean that at all. As we'll see in a few verses, it does not mean that. But it does mean that we who, through Jesus Christ, have a relationship with God, can go through anything with certain hope. Certain, unshakable hope. God knows us, is present with us, and will carry us. And knowing this, and understanding it, and accepting it, is the difference between riding a roller coaster and riding an out-of-control airplane headed toward the earth. I don't like roller coasters. I never have. I don't care for heights, and I don't care to be hurled through heights. So I never went to ride roller coasters. But when I started dating Meredith, she was huge into roller coasters. And she wanted to go to Carowinds. And I desperately did not want to go to Carowinds, but we were dating. And so I wanted to you know, be a good guy and do what she wanted to do. And I didn't want to seem like too much of a wimp. So we went. And I can remember, we went. I think there's a Wendy's. It's like a Wendy's slash gas station. It's within striking distance of Carowinds. And we sat there and we ate before we went into the park. And I got my sandwich down, but I was a nervous wreck. <laughs> because I could see one of the highest loops of Top Gun from my seat. And I'd never ridden a roller coaster like that. I'd been like little kitty ones. 
And I was sitting there eating my sandwich, looking at that loop, thinking she's going to make me go on that. Uh. <laughs> yeah, luckily it did not. It might have made the story more interesting. But I was sitting there looking at that, and then we go in the park, and you wait in the line, and it takes forever, and the longer you wait, the more nervous you get, or the more nervous I get. Some of you maybe nothing to ride Top Gun or whatever else is out there that terrible, awful place. But you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and the anticipation is just killer. And then you get on, and it's just this slow click, 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 up the hill. And then you're, you're gone. And you know, actually, as we went, it was really fun. When I was actually going, but the whole leading up to going was terrible. I hated it. But you know, when we went, my terror kind of disappeared a little bit. Now, had I been waiting in line to get on a plane that I knew would be out of control heading to a, toward the earth, I don't think my terror would have disappeared through the flight. I think it would have just increased. So what's the difference? You're still going through the air at a high speed. You're actually more out in the air on a roller coaster. The difference is the hope that you have on a roller coaster, that the rails are there. You're on a charted course. And those rails will not fail you. You don't have that hope on an out-of-control airplane. So accepting these truths about God, this is our, our railing system for our lives. I mean, it'll be scary. There'll be things you will not know what's around that bend. And if you're like me at Carolines, you'll, you'll be terrified sometime. But deep down, you'll have this core strength, this hope that we have our God who knows us, who is present with us, and who will carry us through. Now, picking up at verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me or hide me or cover me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Now, I really wish I knew the original languages better. The original languages of the Bible. I wish I knew those better and could read like the early manuscripts. When I was in seminary, I, those were hard classes. And I just, I did not retain it as well as I probably should have. But man, I wish I knew because the more I study, and the more I get down into the nitty gritty of what these words the full meanings of them and the full meanings of the phrases in the Bible. These whole huge compartments open up for me and the glory of God just shines through. And it's amazing. We lose something as it's translated into English. The word used for darkness here, it's like our word for darkness. It, it includes ideas of misery and sorrow and obscurity and confusion, the inability to see, both literally and figuratively. The word darkness is used just like our word, but this isn't just a little bit of darkness creeping into our lives that he's talking about. And it doesn't just cover us like an itchy blanket that we could just kick off. That's not what the language indicates. The language used here, it depicts a vicious, violent, overwhelming darkness. It's a darkness that, according to the, how the original wording is, it's a darkness that gapes open. It's a gaping Huge darkness. And when you're in it, it snaps shut. It clamps shut around you. And it crushes you and it bruises you and it overwhelms you. That's what the wording here is like Jaws. It's an old movie, but I think you know what I'm talking about. If you were just this tiny little person and Jaws came out of the water and you're in its mouth and it just crushed shut around you. That's the kind of darkness David is talking about. And guess what? 
He says the strength of this darkness is not strong to God. The darkness is as light to God. The power of darkness is not powerful to God like it is to us. You see, God knows us. God is present with us. God will carry us, even through gaping, smashing, devastating darkness. Now, one other thing I want to point out here. I mentioned that because we can rely on God, it does not mean that our lives will be easy all the time. If it did, this bit about darkness wouldn't even be in here. But we will experience this darkness. We're in a sinful world where sinful bad things happen. We will experience devastating, crushing darkness. But we have our hope. Just like on the roller coaster, we have our hope in God who knows us, who is present with us, who will carry us through. There's great hope for us as Christians. Now changing gears a bit. In 13, verse 13. You formed my inward part. You wove me in my mother's womb. This is talking about careful creation here. Like a skilled weaver weaving together a prized garment, treasuring it. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Or with vehemence, my soul knows it actively. My soul clings to this truth. My frame was not hidden from you when I was skillfully wrought or woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. And in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when yet there was not one of them. Listen to how Job puts this idea. Man's days are determined or declared. The number of his months is with you, God. And his limits you have set so that he cannot pass. Ecclesiastes 3 explains it. And you've probably heard it in the song, which I can't remember the name of. But An appointed time for everything. And there is a time for every event under the sun. A time to give birth and a time to die. These are times that are set. So what does all this mean? It means that just as carefully... Just as carefully as God's open hand brought us into this world, His open hand brings us out of this world. Our days are carefully planned by our Father, just like our bodies are carefully knitted together in the womb. I was blown away as I studied God's Word in preparation for this message. And all the parallels between how God's Word talks about God's involvement with birth... And how it talks about God's involvement with death. And we think about birth as being miraculous. And wow, God, you orchestrated all this. And this beautiful little girl comes out. But those same careful hands, those same loving, skillful hands are at work in our death. That are at work in our births. So in memorializing our fellow Christians who have passed in 2008... As well as everyone who's passed in the years leading up to now. Let us do so in the knowledge that God knew them. God was present with them. And his careful, open hand guided them from birth to death. And he knows us. And he's present with us. 
And his careful open hand guides us today. Man, I just pray that we can grasp the hope that this has for us. So let us mourn well. The Bible says, mourn not as those who have no hope. So let us mourn well. Mourning is not a bad thing. Mourning is a good thing. Let us mourn well as people with hope through Christ. Because through Christ we have access to this God who knows us and is present with us and guides us. And let us remember well. Let us remember in such a way that the memories point our gaze toward God. Remember, this psalm was written to help people praise God. And yet it's talking about darkness and crushing darkness and all this stuff. Not the stuff we typically think of when we think about praising God. But the truth here will help us to mourn and remember in such a way that will point our gaze not only down into a precious photo album of the past. Not only down at the graveside of our beloved, but also up into the heavens with praise to the God who knows us. Let's praise the God who is present with us. Let's praise the God whose open hand guides us through the darkest of times, the brightest of times, and even death. Let our remembering and our mourning be biblically informed remembering. And biblically informed mourning. And let the momentum of it, of all that emotion, propel us into praise rather than despair. <clears throat> Let's join with David, who could praise God even in the darkest of times because his hope was sure. Let's join him in praising God. And I'd just like to finish the message with how he finishes this section of Scripture. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the same. And when I awake, I am still with you. Praise God for this hope. We're going to have a ceremony of lighting candles now. And those who will be lighting candles, if you'll come forward and, and take a seat on the front row here. We'll be lighting our memorial candles. These are lit in memory of three specific individuals. These are three people who are very near to us as a church and as individuals within the church. These are individuals who fell asleep in the Lord in the year 2008. So let us remember them well, together as a family. 